Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Drake Martinez Podcast. I'm your host, Drake, and today we're going to be getting into some current events. I know it's been a little while since you've heard from me. It's been about 45 days since my last episode, which was on September 11th. And, um, you know, some things happened in my personal life and in my professional life that have kind of been like, you know, taking priority, but the podcast is up and running again. And in the future, you know, make that more of a priority to not miss out on weeks, uh, newly weekly episodes. So, um, appreciate you guys for tuning in. I see that we got some new people tuning in from Russia, South America, pretty much all over the U.S. So that's really nice to see, and I, and I'm welcome to the podcast. So, uh, without further ado, let's get into the content for this week today. I'm going to be talking about the hot topic, which is you know, this conflict in, um, in Israel. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty crazy one, especially as an active duty member, you know, seeing a situation that could spark into a uh, regional conflict is, you know, concerning. Uh, but what I find actually like the mainly concerning about this is the way that the world has been reacting. And it seems like a pretty cut and dry situation, at least in my point of view, from my point of view of what's happening in um, Israel right now. Um, you know, just disclaimer, I have a long time friend from Israel. You know, he is, you know, a, a guy that like I would consider a brother from going back all the way to high school. We're not so close these days, but you know, once you've been that close with somebody, um, and their family, you know, you never lose that fondness and the affinity that you have for uh, these people. And I know from what he's told me and just from logic and history is history's on the side of the Jews right now. And um, the sheer brutality and the butchery that the Hamas terrorists were committing in Israel, I think just tells you everything that you need to know about this conflict and the previous conflicts. So I have a rule as a student of history, when it comes to territorial claims, I have a couple of rules that are tried and true in terms of history. The land is claimed by the owner, the the winner of the war. Let's say if the, there's a land dispute, there's a war, and then a new ter- the territory is acquired by the victors of the war, the way that you avoid that is you don't lose the war. Okay? So the other issue is who is indigenous. Okay, so indigenous peoples do have claims to the, to the land. And in this case, both of those go to the Jews in Israel. They are the... So, and then the other issue is that a lot of people conflate this issue of land ownership with the genocidal hum, like psycho, psychopathy of Hamas terrorists. Now, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I'm not an expert. I do know basic history. I do have a moral compass. And I can judge people by the fruits that they bear. And I can take historical accounts all into consideration and come up with my own conclusion. Given all of these things, I do not see how an intellectually honest person 
can walk away from what the situation over there and say that Israel is in the wrong or pretty much has ever been in the wrong. Okay, so let's 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 take it issue by issue and let's dissect it to get a clear understanding from my point of view. Territorial claims. For one, territorial claims belong to the Jews because they were there first. Simply put, they were there first. Now, if we go back to the the era of Roman conquest of the region, it was called Judea because that was the land of the Jews. If you look into the Bible, that region, you know, which is a historical document, was conquered by the Jews, by by the Israelites, the people of Israel. They they claimed the territory, they had they held it for many years. And then when you look into the Bible, the and the the example given, um, I'm pretty sure it's like midway through Genesis, or the historical account that's given is that the Jews left that land and went to Egypt because of a famine. And I don't remember which brother it was, but one of the brothers, um, maybe it was like a grandson of, of Isaac. Uh, I'm not really sure. I have to read it again. But essentially, he was given up by his brothers to slavery. And then over time, he becomes, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Pharaoh of Egypt. Um, and then the Jewish people have famine in their region, and then they go down to Egypt, get enslaved um, after a couple of generations or so. And then uh, Moses leads them back into uh, is- Israel after 40 years of wandering in the deserts and uh, or the you know the wilderness, as they say. And um, the land is claimed and occupied by them for generations. So let's go with a generous date. Um, you know, I'm not reading anything. I'm just going by off of, off of my memory. Let's say like, let's say they occupied the region 1500 BC. Okay. So that's 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. And then Jesus comes along and that's the time of the Romans shortly thereafter uh, Judea is, you know, destroyed essentially by the the Romans, and um, you know, maybe it's like a hundred years later or somewhere around there. I'm not really sure, but of course, after that, so let's just put a pin in that. Okay, so the indigenous people, Czech Jews, they were there first. They had that territory for a very very long period of time. Now, next. The next uh, er- or, um, peoples of relevance is like the Palestinians or the Philistines, you know. So that's where they got the name from. From the from the Romans was their nemesis, I guess, or their their enemies, the the Philistines. And this sort of gets like mixed up with um, the Muslim uh, peoples, and that's not a thing until. Muhammad, I think, is like 600 AD, but I think it takes another two, three, 200 years or so um, from his birth until the caliphate is established and his generals start, you know, taking over territory. So, okay, let's put a pin in, let's say, like 1000 AD. So, you know, 
a good 2,500 years uh, or so, give or take, from a generous or a, a lowball estimate of like when the, the Jews occupied the region. Okay, cool. So now we're at a period of 1,000. There's different um, territorial claims. There's the Crusades. Uh, the Christians actually come in and occupy the area for a bit during the Crusades with, um, I think it was uh, the Leper King. I don't remember Edward the Fifth, maybe I don't remember. I don't remember exactly, but there's, you know, it's it's hotly con- con- uh, contested during that time, and then you have World War One, World War Two, and then, you know, you have the but within there you have the Ottoman Empire, which is a you know a Muslim Arab empire that stretches that whole region, and then once World War Two is over. That region is occupied by uh, the British, and uh, the British take control, um, and they give a section of it to the Jews, and sections of it are carved off for uh, the Arabs, like, for example, Jordan. Um, there's lots of arbitrary carving up of, proper, of, um, of um, territory there. Um, I had to li- read back on it, but that might have even happened during World War One. But for sure, that region lost its power because I think the Ottoman Empire was, yeah, was defeated at the end of World War One because they sided with the Axis powers, if I remember correctly. And then with World War Two, that region, of course, sided with you know we're talking about the Arabs with Hitler. So any territory that was lost because you lost the war can't really feel sorry for you, especially for siding with Axis powers. Okay, moving on. So the British at that point, because victors of, you know, the spoils go to the victors in terms of war when it comes to, especially when it comes to territory. Now that area, that era area is then distributed how they would like to see it. So they're the occupiers and the owners of the land at that point. And they're like, okay, here you go, Jews. You got some land, and then they, they they carve up other areas, and then you know sort of arbitrarily name it like Jordan, etc. Okay, cool. Now, at that point, the Israel you know the Israelis the uh, the Jewish people now have their own territory. So you got one Jewish nation versus I think there's like forty Muslim countries around there, give or take, in the world. Maybe not during that time, but pro- you know approximately now there's around forty. Now, there's a couple of wars that then happen called, like, I think the Six Days War and then the Yom Kippur War, both initiated by the Arab countries that surround Israel, and Israel won both, obviously, or else it would be gone. And that's sort of like the point of this. And fast forward to today, there are, if you look on the map, there are regions of that area of Israel, whereas if you go east of, like, Jerusalem, that's West Bank, that's Palestinian territory. And then you have the Gaza Strip, which is this little area that's being contested right now with Hamas. Um, and it's being contested because of a situation that happened on October 7th, which, you know, almost a month ago now, which was probably the most horrific thing I had ever heard of in my lifetime. Now I've I've seen all sorts of barbarism 
in my lifetime. I've seen, you know, the beheading of Daniel Pearl. I've seen, you know, I didn't see it personally. I didn't look at the video, but I know that it happened. This is one of those things that I just don't want to see. Uh, remember, there was a gentleman named Nick Berg, uh, an American civilian contractor who was out in Iraq. He also got beheaded. Um, and I think we conduct we we as in the West conduct warfare when things like this happen for a number of reasons. One is to sort of maintain peace through deterrence, right? So if like you have a terrorist group and a terrorist group is sort of hard to deal with because they're not like the representation of the country for, you know, per se, but they can be like de facto, as is the case with Hamas. I mean, in this case, they are the, like the, the governing body of um, Gaza. But in other situations, they can be the de facto or in place um, government of a, of, a, of a country. And dealing with them is a lot, is very different than dealing with another country. For example, they don't, they don't play by the rules, especially if in the case with Gaza. So, or in the case with the, um, in Gaza with the, with the Hamas terrorists, because they, it's well known that they use essentially like human shields. And it's something that like a Western country or even any other developed country around the world just wouldn't be able to utilize these sorts of tactics in warfare. So they don't, they use asymmetrical warfare as like not, a word that you can even use for them. They use like just straight up cowardly tactics that just the aim is to get their own civilians killed so that they can get these sympathy points from the left and then get these calls for a ceasefire, which is just like a case of like, if I punch you in the face and then run into my house and you're like knocking on my door and I'm like, Hey, let's just be friends, bro. I didn't, you know, let's just, Let's just call it even. It's like, well, you know what, man? Like, we're not even, actually. You know, you punched me in the face, and then you ran into your house. Um, And not only that, but you took my daughter with you. You know, that sort of thing. That's what's essentially happening. It's, um, It's like childish behavior, but like on a state level is what's going on over there. Um, Because like children are nasty. You know, they bully each other. They do all sorts of terrible things to each other and they pretend like they're little angels. And that's, you know, I'm not saying like all kids are like that, but children have that tendency unless you like make them grow out of it. Um, but the West right now, especially the left, the, um, the suicidal left has determined that this type of behavior is totally acceptable for some weird reason. You'd think that as soon as they heard the uh, issue of women being raped in mass with, um, you know, their pro-feminism and all their garbage, that they would have some, you know, moral backbone and say, hey, you can't go in mass raping women across Israel and burning children alive, you know. But I think that this has just revealed what we've all suspected about the American and Western left which is they're suicidal. They hate themselves and they hate the society in which they have lived and prospered to the point that anything that brings it down is good. So they have like this 
topsy-turvy view of the world where anything that's good for the destruction of their lives, the West, Western values, morality in general is good. It is the new good. And anything that um, will strengthen the West, strengthen their countries, their families, their own personal lives, they are not in favor of. They are vehemently against it. And this could not be more evident in the case of what just happened in Israel, where you have these these psychopaths on drugs. You know, apparently they were on drugs too, using paragliders and hand gliders and flying in, mowing women and children down, raping women, burning children alive, um, doing these things in front of parents, in front of husbands, just the most horrific and like, terrible things that human beings can do to one another. I mean, at that point, like, I wouldn't be surprised to hear reports of flailing and scalping and just, like, all the sorts of horrible things you also hear from, like, civil wars in in, in um, Africa, where mass rapings also happen in the, with the purpose of infecting the the other tribes or the other side with HIV, um, mass um, amputations. It's just the most disgusting. Like, war is bad enough, okay? War is bad enough. But once you start going down this road of just depravity, it just really speaks to what your civilization is all about, unfortunately, for for the Arab world. Now, I'm not saying the whole Arab world, but in this region, with this burning Jew hatred, these people who are okay with just murdering Christians, murdering Jews, like their whole philosophy is the genocide of entire peoples. I mean, this is exactly like, and what's so ironic about this is the American left spends all this all this time bashing the American right wing conservatives. Now I got my own bones to pick with them and I can, I'm probably going to go over that in my next episode. But do you ever notice that the word that they use, that the, that they tend to use over and over again is the Nazi, right? Now I don't know what can get more Nazi than being okay with the extermination of the Jews, which is what they're all about right now. I mean, like, they're not even hiding it. They're not even um, sugarcoating it anymore. So I think that we've entered a new dark, really, really dark moment in our history. Not just because of wars. Wars have been going on for a long time. And even depravity like this has happened in the past. You know, raping and pillaging used to be the normal, actually. In warfare, it happened, um, mass rapings happened in World War II when the Soviets, uh, you know, were carving through um, as they moved west. You know, that happened as they went through Germany. And, um, you know, all sorts of terrible things happened on that front, on the eastern front in World War II, on both sides. Germans against the Russians, and then going back, the Russians against the Germans. Um, these things happen and when they do, 
it creates generations and generations of distrust, animosity, and, um, you know, military rivalries that can take a very, very, very long time to heal, if ever. Now, what would motivate Hamas to do this? So, one is they know that they're going to get this cover from the New York Times. They're going to get this cover from the American universities. They're going to get this cover of a more of you know moral equivalency of comparing. Well, you know, they're living in an apartheid state, and of course, this is what you do when you live in an apartheid state. Okay, you show me a person who is you know you show me the founding fathers or any other rebel group that established or pursued their own freedom that utilized these tactics. Go ahead, find one. You can't because groups of people that led rebellions, that led to the establishments of states, like Ho Chi Minh and the Viet Minh, you know, um, the founding fathers, American colonists, you know, many other examples, they had to conduct warfare in such a way that, like I said, war is ugly, it's disgusting, and it's nasty. But this level of, this level of like evil just doesn't, it's not war. I don't know what you would even call it. It's like a, I guess the best word would be a death cult. And unfortunately, I think, um, this is this is really sad is like this but this is uh in my opinion and from the research that I've done this is a um i guess a a feature not a bug of islam because of history the only other group that we've seen in recent years that have utilized these tactics is ISIS. And that part of the world that takes Islam to the point where they take it so seriously that they actually follow in Muhammad's footsteps, you know, they end up doing these kinds of things because the Quran shows them that they can a basic level understanding of the Quran shows that Muhammad, if you want to get really deep about it, you know, we could go into that too. But, you know, basically Muhammad started off his career or his whole, you know, his, his whole vision was that the lineage of, um, this is actually very important for people to know. His whole vision was that the lineage of, of legacy from Abraham did not go the way of the Jews. It went the way of, uh, through, um, Isaac, but through, because in, in, in the Bible, if you read the Bible, this is why it's actually important to read the Bible, uh, not just for religious and, you know, getting closer to God kinds of, uh, ideas, but for the uh, idea of just like understanding where these things come from is, um, Abraham had two sons and in the Bible, Isaac is referred to as his first son, but technically it wasn't his uh, he wasn't his first son. His first son was Ishmael. And Ishmael was born from like essentially 
I'm pretty sure it was like Abraham's like handmaiden. No, his wife's handmaiden, Sarah. And um, but for whatever reason, I'm not really exactly sure. I don't really remember. But Ishmael, Ishmael is not really considered in the Bible as his first son. Um, the the legacy, the lineage of Abraham's um, covenant goes with with Isaac and his children, which are the tribes of Israel. Now, Muhammad had a vision that that wasn't the case, that they were the true lineage. Okay. What is the evidence of that? So we can see how people conduct themselves in war, especially right now in the 21st century, when everyone can know about it. Everyone's got cell phones and can take pictures and all that kind of stuff. We know in history that the slave trade, um, that you know, so many people have so many problems with, where it originated in Africa, or and, you know, and, and and so millions of Africans were enslaved and then moved around, you know, North America, Europe, etc. But they're also moved about in the in the Middle East because the slave trade was started by the Arabs. It's actually called the Arab slave trade. Okay, and then they didn't keep, they didn't have a population of, of black Arabs in the Arabian Peninsula because they actually turned them into eunuchs so that they wouldn't be able to reproduce and have their own children. Okay, so moving on from all these, these depraved things. Um, now, Muhammad's example is that he takes this, 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 you know, this revelation that he has that a, allegedly an angel gave to him, but it sounds like more like a demon. And he takes this and he goes uh, full on with it. Um, now, apparently he was illiterate, so he had to turn it into an oral tradition, which is why the Quran is so much shorter than the Bible and the Torah. Um, and then it's made it more accessible, accessible for people who couldn't read. Now, there's Jewish settlements at this time all throughout the region, not just in... Um, in like modern day Israel, but also in the Arabian Peninsula, Greece. Um, you know, the Bible is very actually clear about this that there's Jewish uh, cities all over the all over that region, not just you know again not just in Israel. So he goes to Jewish cities. I'm pretty sure it was Mecca and Medina. After only gaining a very small following. And um, he then he he tries to pitch this religion around there, and it's not working. The Jews don't want to incorporate this, or they're not interested. You know, same with same with Christianity. No big surprise. Whatever. Now, where Muhammad goes with this is he goes into the era of, or the area rather of political violence. So he cuts their heads off, beheads them, and. Then he turns into a military leader, you know, and um, led armies, killed. I think the estimate is around like three, four thousand people or so. So, so he's a great example. He's he's the example that like Bakar, Abu Bakr al Baghdadi, the leader from ISIS, um, the Taliban, Haqqani Network, all these guys point to, especially the, um, you know. Um, the hardcore Sunni and Shia, especially the Wahhabi 
um, sex, which is they they take this example very, very seriously. And, um, you know, they believe in jihad. So, okay, understand. I understand where they're coming from. Um, so when you understand all these things about Islam, who Muhammad was, what's actually preached, um, and what you have is not just a religion, but what you have is a social, political, and military lifestyle. Um, it's a, it's it's all encompassing. It's not just like a separation of church and state, like how we have in the West. That's not a thing in Arab countries, or rather, in Muslim countries. You know, and you can see that in a place like Turkey, for example. In Turkey, you know. That used to be a pretty secular state, but as the world has become increasingly, um, and I say pretty, I mean like it's kind of like loosely, um, you could see that over the years they've become, especially after ISIS, that they have become increasingly Islamic and is like Islamic militant. They actually help support a lot of the oil trade that the um and purchasing from ISIS during the um the Syrian civil war. So the whole region's a mess. And I feel like what you know, I don't want to just go off on and and um and complain without solutions, but the solutions that we had were you know during the Trump era, the um the Abrahamic Accords getting the Israelis and the Saudis to talk to each other. And then, and then another thing that I want to brush up or touch up on is uh, Lebanon. Lebanon used to be a Christian country. I'm pretty sure the ratio was back in the 70s was like 70-30. And then you had the civil war. And then it became the other way around. And Christians are the most persecuted religion in the world. And it doesn't seem like a religion of tolerance and peace to me. Because they're not getting, you know, persecuted by atheists. I mean, they are and they aren't, you know, not to the level that the Muslims do it. But if you look in Africa, Asia, this region, the Middle East, uh, I've seen it firsthand in Greece when I was there in 1997 uh, because my mom's home island is really close to um, Turkey. So I've seen it firsthand. Um, yeah, it just seems like there's one religion that is okay to be brash, open, in your face, and then gets no criticism from, you know, scholar like the the allegedly the, the alleged best thinkers in the West, and the others are like, hey, you know what, you can you can just die. We don't want you. And I think that that gives a lot of validity to um, Judaism, Christianity, actually. Um, that's actually probably like wasn't one of the most important turning points for me was I started realizing as I got older and a little bit wiser, which is that a good rule of thumb is to just do the opposite of what the American media and the left and the, um, you know, the college professors and the universities tell you to do that. Usually it tends to be that the exact opposite is the truth and the way that you should go. So, you know. Take that for what it's worth, but it's worked for me so far. I think it's made me a happier person. It's made me realize a lot of 
um, the lies and the um, the way that they distort reality is yeah, it's terrible. So let's go let's go back to this uh, conflict and um, and finish up on it. So you have the territorial disputes. And then you have this issue of like a military conflict. Okay, so military conflict. Let's let's brush up on that a little bit. Now, we've already kind of talked about this, but a military conflict is not crossing a border, murdering children, raping women, burning people alive, and then thinking that you can just take hostages, go back into your territory, and then be like, hey, no, no hit backsies. You know, I, no punchbacks, whatever childish stuff that children do. Punch you, but you can't punch me back. I called it. You know, oh, yeah, no, we want a ceasefire. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you want a ceasefire. Now, there's one of two ways that Israel can deal with this. And a lot of it depends on if Hezbollah wants to get into the fight. So let's assume that they don't. Let's just go with the fact that they're just dealing with Hamas right now. They have to deal with Hamas so unequivocally, like powerfully, and leave no room for interpretation of like them being able to do do this again. Because like, if you have to think about it, man, like this isn't like some like for us. All of our enemies are so far away, you know. Like we've got well, not anymore with the open border. But let's just go with like geography, right? Let's say we're having issues with North Korea. And North Korea is this ocean away from us. Cool. All right. That's not the case for the Arabs and the and the um, for the for the Jewish people in Israel, right? Their enemies surround them, so that's a constant threat that they have to keep evaluating. And nothing's going to make you more on edge than just being right next to this group of people that literally want your entire people to be gone, wiped off the face of the earth. Okay, um, yeah. So, like, it'd be like if your next door neighbor was like, "Hey, you know what? I really don't like you. Actually, it goes a lot further than that. I want to kill you, your dog, your wife, your kids, and then I'm going to go into your house and then I'm going to steal everything, and then just you know take all your money too. And um, yeah, that's what I want to do to you. You imagine if your neighbor ever said that to you." Like, you'd be like, hey, either I'm moving or I'm going to take this guy out. He's just, like, constantly threatening, threatening you. Yeah. I'm gonna, one of these days, I'm going to murder you. I'm going to murder you and your... I mean, just in, a, in like, uh, let's say there's no police. You're going to handle that situation. There's no way you're going to let somebody just threaten you that lives right next door to you. And be like, yeah, that's this is totally fine. This is exactly what I should be putting up with. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen for Israel. They're going to have to deal with the Gaza Strip. And they're going to have to deal with it permanently. Now, it's kind of sad. Because not everyone is an, an Islamic militant. And I think if a lot of them actually knew the inner workings of their religion, just like Scientology, like they would just be like, yeah, this is a cult, the death cult. I don't want anything to do with this. Sorry, but that's the way, that's just the way that it is. Now, okay, moving forward. 
What is Israel going to have to do? I personally think that the best thing that they can do is level the Gaza Strip and turn it into a parking lot. And nobody lives there. Nor, neither Jews nor Arabs. And they should turn it into a memorial for what happened. You know? And um, that's a sad thing, but what else can they really do? If they take the territory and then claim it as their own, well, now they're kind of like reaffirming all these fears and all these, you know, unfair um, standards that people are, you know, from across the world are holding them to. But if they just leave, leave it be, then they're living right next door to psychopaths all over again that want them dead. And then after that, I think they can focus on what's going to happen in the West Bank, Golan Heights, potentially things that pop off with Hezbollah and um, Iran, and then work to improve their relationships uh, with the Gulf states. Um, but yeah, that's um, I think that they don't. There is really no other way for them to deal with the the situation in Gaza other than to just completely destroy the. The fun, at least the function of Hezbollah in that area. I think that there's not a whole lot that they can do in terms of like its overall structure. Um, aside from that, because you know they have such backing in Iran and they have a lot of their leadership in Qatar, but you know that's at least a good start. That's at least getting rid of that psychotic neighbor that keeps threatening you. Um. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of tensions that are boiling over in this area, and the next couple of weeks, next couple of months are going to really determine uh, what the future of the world is going to look like. Um, because I I really don't see how we can bounce back from something like this when there's such a yeah, like, like, could you just, I don't know, for me, it's like difficult to imagine back in 2001, people in America being like, yeah, dude, that dude, uh, Daniel Pearl, totally deserved to be beheaded. Nick Berg, yeah, he had what was coming to him. It's just, it was a different world back then, and the crazy thing it was, it was, it was only 20 years ago. It was a little only 20 years ago. And look at the moral state of the world right now. Just so many people can't tell basic right from wrong. Even if you have a bone to pick with the Israelis in terms of territory. You know, we're going to get into this other thing real quick, but that has to do with that. But even if you have a bone to pick with them. There's other ways to deal with that. And they have been open to dealing with that. That doesn't involve their annihilation. So let's go back to the Muslims. Let's go back to the way that they treat the rest of the world. So there's a church called Hagia Sophia. Um, I think in the West, it'd be more like Hagia Sophia. Hagia Sophia, but Hagia Sophia. It's um, one of the most important... um, churches in the um, Eastern Orthodox Christian faith. 
Constantinople, which was like the center of the um, the Eastern Orthodoxy after the Ionian split. You had the Roman Empire or the um, the Holy Roman Empire, and you know like the Vatican on the on the Western side, and then the Patriarchy and Constantinople at the, as its center in um, the East side. And Hagia Sophia is one of the most important churches. Now, where is Constantinople today? Like I said, Istanbul. And you think the Muslims are letting uh, Christians go there and pray and having territorial disputes over one of their most important holy sites? What about in, um, you know, the uh, Temple Mound? You see any Christians fighting for, for land? Even though that they, they they always say, like, oh, yeah, it's the, the site where all the three worlds' religions have a claim to it. It actually seems like only one of them is fighting for the claim of it. The others had the territory for, as we already went over, millennia. And... The Christians, the last time that they stepped foot in there with any kind of claim was like a little over, uh, around a thousand years ago with the uh, the Crusades. And then ever since then, it's been Muslims. So I think, I think in a, there's just so many things that are going to happen. But ideally, the best way for peace, I think, is that Palestine is just, thrown out and the Arab world takes them in gives them citizenships in different countries Israel occupies and controls the whole area we back them up so that they have their territory their people their state their security and then Israel just has to make accommodations for Muslims to come in and travel if they want to go see the um, Temple Mount and then they make some sort of, you know, agreement that they're not going to do anything to the um, to the mosque or, or whatever. And I think that's like the best situation that anybody can hope for. Honestly, I think that, you know, once Israel deals with Gaza, now they're going to have to deal with the West Bank. And that's going to be the next shoe to drop. So, um but yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say about um, the situation over there right now. I know, like, a lot of people might consider it pretty harsh criticism of the um, of the Arab and Muslim world um, that I that I'm talking about right now. But I think everything that I said, I'm pretty sure, you know. And if I made any uh, inaccuracies, more than welcome to be corrected. Have a discussion about it, but. Pretty much everything that I said is from the heart. And it's not to criticize them um, from, a, from a point of view of, oh, I'm better than them. It's just because I think you just can't go around murdering people. Okay. There's wars. I understand. I, I'm in the military. I understand wars. You know, I've studied military history quite a bit. I understand that wars kick off. And wars are never pretty. But 
this sort of like consolidation of political, religious, and um, social control that they utilize is, I think, really detrimental to the West. I think that their power is executed to the point that others, other religions, other um, groups of people are at the expense of them executing power and like the way that they utilize power. And it's been like that for a very, very long time. And um, I've seen a lot of evidence and a lot of um, conversations happening with a lot of Muslims leaving the faith once they learn about things like Muhammad being married to a nine-year-old. Once they learn about things like, you know, the other certain religious aspects of it that uh, I don't really want to get into right now. But essentially it'd be like monumental issues that they have that that are within their faith alone not just the practice of it but issues in terms of like just core structure problems the same way that like Scientology has these core structure problems where like their belief system is just so ridiculous that the only th- explanation that makes sense for it to be binded is this is a cult mentality which explains why there's so much control in every facet of life. Like I was saying, military, social, political. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to have more conversations about this with people. Um, and again, I don't want to come off as harsh, but I think the only way that we're going to be able to move forward is, there's a, is if we speak honestly and if we speak from the heart, say what's on our minds, and say exactly how we feel. Because there is a global concerted effort to move people into these neat little like funnels. Like, oh, it's such a tragedy. This is how I feel about it. Neither side is correct. I'm just going to go back to bed now. No, the issues are way more complex than that. The issues require a lot more conversation than just Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, there's groups of people killing each other. And, you know, I know a little bit about it, but whatever. I'm just going to just leave it for other people to figure out. Okay, cool. Leave it for other people to figure out. That's fine. But what you can't do is just say that, like, on a moral issue in terms of, like, slaughtering babies, that one side was justified in doing it. For all sorts of reasons. We, we already fought a world war over this type of behavior. That is what's at stake. And I think people need to remember that. So if we're just too, too PC and too afraid to like talk about these issues openly, then how are we going to fight it? How are we physically going to fight it if we can't even verbally fight it? The Arab world and the Muslim world needs to chill out. They already have 40 countries. They already have like 1.2 billion people. 
they're already like multiplying um, their birth rates like way more than the West. And we needed to get our heads wrapped around this issue of like what their religion actually is, what it entails, and is it even compatible with the West? And I'd say it's not. Japan already made that decision. I think we have to also. It's not compatible. Maybe in the future it can be. Maybe the religion can be reformed. You know, but from what I've seen is when people really understand who their main prophet was, then they, they abandon it. Some of them don't. Some of them, you know, have like more theological uh, disagreements and like in or arguments that in reasoning that I think is pretty flawed. But I think from what I've seen, as a lot of them do. Um, but anyways, we're gonna wrap up today's episode. It's kind of a long and uh, dreary one, but I appreciate you guys for checking out the Drake Martinez podcast. Uh, yeah, next episode is going to be me griping about the, um, the the Republicans, which should be a lot more lighthearted. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to talk to you guys next, uh, hear from you guys next week. And uh, make sure to check out my new album. Well, it's not so new now, but it's uh, the Fujiwara Effect by the Water Bear. You can find it on um, Spotify. You know, pretty much anywhere where you can get podcasts. And um, uh, I'm sorry, like music, and then. Uh, also check out me and my wife's podcast. It's called Engaging Walk. We talk a lot about, um, you know, marriage, uh, relationships, and things like that. Um, so give uh, definitely give that a, a check out right there. And then on the uh, the website f- uh, for a lot of the things that I'm doing is TitusFlamingoRecords.com. All right, love you guys. Uh, thank you, and have a great night.